In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Bob Foyette. Janie Shoemaker and Michael Dexter talk with Bob about Trauma System News, how he started it, what type of articles are in it, and how you can subscribe. Find out some of the results from the survey, ACS, Revising Their Standards, that the readers of the Trauma System News responded to. Bob shares a wealth of information in this podcast that you won't want to miss. As a special bonus, Bob gives the hosts a pop quiz. Let's see if you get the correct answer. This episode is called Trauma System News, The Inside Scoop. Hello, and welcome to BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certificate holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always valuable. I'm Mark Eggers, Manager of Education Technology Services at BCN, and one of your hosts for today. And today I'm also joined with two other co-hosts, Janie Shoemaker, CEO at BCN. Hi, Janie. Hi, Mark. And Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCN. Hi, Michael. Hey, Mark. It's great to be with you. Thanks. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have our friend Bob Foyette. Janie, would you like to tell us about our BCN and friend, Bob? I would love to, Mark. Thank you very much. Bob Foyette is the editor of Trauma System News, an online publication dedicated to trauma-centered leadership and management. In his role, Bob oversees coverage of topics such as trauma center standards compliance, trauma quality and PI, trauma team organization, trauma data management, and trauma registry. And thanks to a new content partnership with BCEN, Trauma System News is now expanding its coverage with a wider variety of topics in trauma clinical nursing. Bob was born and raised in Wisconsin, and he graduated from the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas, where he majored in philosophy. His career has taken him through nearly every role in publishing and communications, from proofreading and production, art to writing, editing, and marketing. Bob and his wife have been married for 31 years, and they have six children, ages 30 to 11. Bob, welcome to the BCEN and Friends podcast. It's Thanks, a pleasure Jamie. to have you. Thanks. Welcome. Thanks to be here. Glad to be here. Yeah, great, Bob. Bob, why don't we start off um, by you telling us a little bit more about <clears throat> yourself and your career this far? How'd you, how'd you wind up where you are? Tell us about sure. that. Sure. Yeah, I am. I'm an editor and a writer, and I've worked in publishing and communications in some form or another for most of my adult life. And, uh, you know, like most people, my career has had a lot of twists and turns. And as I was um, preparing for this, uh, our talk today, I was thinking through uh, how I might streamline the story. And there was one step that I was going to leave out, but then I remembered there's something about it that might resonate for um, the nurses who are listening. So my first job, it was I uh, in communications was, I was a production artist at a graphic design studio. And the studio was actually owned by my father and his business partner. And when I was maybe, I can't remember, about 16 or 17 years old, my dad said, okay, put them to work. So um, I was trained um, in the production department as a keyliner, which is essentially the person who composes the pages for the printer. And nowadays, all this is done digitally. But um, back then, it was a very, very physical, high-touch process. And it involved 
using a big swing arm slicer to prepare the boards and using, you know, blades to cut up sheets of sheets of type and then applying these high temperature adhesives to sort of glue it all together. Um, you know, on the one hand, it was uh, my introduction to the excitement of getting something to the printer, you know, getting something published. On the other hand, frankly, it was just a real high risk of burns and lacerations. Uh, and in fact, on one occasion, they did have to take me to the hospital uh, because oh I, had, I nearly, uh, nearly sliced the tip of my finger off. But um, oh my gosh! But they did. Uh, the the team took care of me. And anyways, that's that's sort of my personal debt of gratitude to emergency nursing. Yeah. Oh, wow. So That's, mainly intact. Well, but, I'm glad um, to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> glad to hear that. So I think our listeners will be really interested. The ones that some of them probably already know about trauma system news. Some of them may not, but Bob, can you talk about the content, um, what they can expect to find in trauma system news? And then also where do they go to subscribe? Sure. Well, let me just tell you first about uh, the inspiration behind Trauma System News. So just to fast forward, I um, throughout college and my early working career, I worked as a proofreader, um, worked in publishing, became a writer, um, moved into the health uh, care area via first working in a health insurance company and then later on in a healthcare consulting firm. Eventually, it all kind of came to head as um, I had a freelance writing career. Um, with a focus on healthcare. And I really found myself specializing in what I think of as leadership and management issues. So that would be, um, you know, revenue cycle management and finance, organization and governance, quality improvement, data issues. Um, and so um, pursuing this career. And then at one point, my introduction to trauma was I was engaged for several years running to write the annual report for um, the local level one trauma center here in southeastern Wisconsin, it's Freighter Hospital. And, you know, this was um, kind of, it was a real learning curve for me because I just could not get it into my head that um, the essence of a trauma center is all about the availability of resources for caring for injured patients. I, I kept thinking, okay, where is this center? Where could you show me the door of the trauma center? I imagined, you know, uh, a a, a clinic with all kinds of equipment for, you know, taking care of injured people. And, you know, they were very patiently, uh, uh, very gracious and, you know, helping me along and getting me to understand that, you know, it, the whole hospital really is the trauma center. It's, it's really bringing all the resources together. So, um, you know, I did eventually grasp it. I thought that it was very cool. And then, so at the same time, as I mentioned, I'm writing a lot about um, leadership and management topics in healthcare. And at one point, I kind of looked around at the publishing landscape, and what I saw was that, you know, really many areas of healthcare had a publication focused on organizational issues like leadership, teamwork, PI, financial stuff, et cetera. And what I saw was that the one exception was trauma. So, for example, there were and are several magazines um, that are focused on how to manage a hospital surgery department or how to manage an ambulatory surgery center or a radiology clinic. But um, there were no publications or magazines on how to lead a trauma program, which to me didn't make any sense since really, you know, more than any area of healthcare, I think trauma really requires a very organized approach. Um, and that's really that very choreographed teamwork to respond to the acute injury and then a raptor on that, um, a very careful data collection and management program wrapped around by 
very structured a PI program. And then obviously wrapped around that is the, you know, the system that coordinates everything that's happening inside and outside the hospital. And then aside from that, all the usual issues of financial management, compliance, staff satisfaction, and so on. So, you know, just I rubbed those two sticks together and I thought, you know, I think this is a gap that I would be interested in filling. And that led to the creation of Trauma System News. Uh, and then that, so it launched in April 2014 with a small email newsletter. And so now it's just about eight years old. Um, it's been growing steadily ever since. And the newsletter now goes out to just over 5,000 subscribers every month. Wow. That's really grown. It's, it's, uh, it's heartening and uh, exciting. Yeah. Well, that's great. So if I open up the, the latest issue, Bob, what will I find there? So, um, you know, as you kind of summarized in the beginning, the, um, you know, one thing that gets talked about a lot is uh, just simply compliance with trauma center standards. And as you know, the big news right now is that the ACS is about to um, release its newly revised trauma center optimal resources book. This is the first, first big revise in about eight years, I believe. Um, we also cover stuff like pro, uh, program management challenges, such as, you know, how to host a virtual site visit, trauma financial management, stuff, stuff about trauma coding and billing, um, a lot of content about trauma registry, everything from the high level stuff, like how to perform data validation to, you know, getting into the weeds of AIS coding and how to calculate trauma scores. And then just on top of all that, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, material on trauma performance improvement, injury prevention, some trauma team education. Uh, and as, as you mentioned, we uh, BCEN and Trauma System News recently um, worked, uh, launched together a collaboration to, uh, to kind of expand um, Trauma System News's coverage of clinical trauma nursing topics. Yeah, well, that sounds really informative. And, you know, I actually, uh, I, have a, I have a kind of a surprise for you. So um, kind of a quiz. And basically, so, so far, we've done five articles together. And um, I'm just, I'm going to read, uh, just review the, uh, what the topics were. And I want to see if, if you guys, the panel, can guess which, which is, uh, there's one of them that stands out as the most popular in terms of uh, traffic volume. So I want to see which, what your guess might be as to which it is. Oh, how fun, Bob. Yes, 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 it is. So, um, so that in order, the topics we've covered are there was, we had a trauma nursing Q&A on external ventricular drains. And then next we covered gunshot wounds to the abdomen and then the pediatric airway and then physiological changes in pregnancy that trauma nurses should understand. And then finally, we just did red flags of human trafficking. So um, I don't know if you want to take a moment or if uh, we should play some Jeopardy uh, music as wow. we think it over. But anyway, so um, Janie, what do you what do you think is the, the top top topic? I'm going to go, Bob, with human trafficking. OK. Michael, Michael, I'll pass to you. Um, uh, this is a tough one, but I'm going to go with gunshot wounds to the abdomen. OK. Mark, do you have a thought? I'm going to go with human trafficking. Okay. All right. In fact, the uh, the top article in popularity was 12 physiological changes in pregnancy that trauma nurses should understand. Oh, wow. 
Great. That was and, you my know, second choice. Was it? <laughs> yeah, mine too. <laughs> mine too. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's funny because it's it's it can be hard to try to understand what readers are thinking. But um, one thing I've noticed about the trauma community is that I think the thing that drives nurses and doctors, for that matter, crazy are the high risk, low frequency events. So my theory is that this um, this this article about the pregnant trauma patient really kind of struck a nerve in terms of hey here's here's something which is which is super important and we don't see that many of it so this is this is something that I really want to read. Wow, yeah i I know that when I was at the bedside and we had a trauma patient that was pregnant or any pregnant patient for that matter, I was more than happy to hand that patient off uh, expeditiously to the labor and delivery nurses. So I guess that really makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, it's been a good, good run so far and I'm looking forward to uh, doing a lot more together. Oh yeah. But if anyone, so you asked about subscribing, if anyone wants to subscribe to the free Mm -hmm. newsletter, you just visit uh, the website, which is trauma-news.com. And then in the upper right of just about any page, there's a big uh, red square that says request our free monthly newsletter. And then if you, uh, if you just click that, provide a little info, then you're, you'll be part of the family. Excellent. Thank you for, for telling us about that. And I love the quiz. That was, uh, that was really fun, Bob. Great. All right. Well, I'm going to pass uh, to Michael. He's got a couple of questions for you. Yeah. So thank you again, Bob, for, for, being on this and for quizzing us already. I wasn't expecting that. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the things that you had mentioned earlier was ACS revising their standards. And I know as part of uh, the trauma system news uh, send out, you had sent a survey to the different readers asking about their um, input and what they think about the new standards. Can you let us know a little bit about that survey? Sure. Yes, we did that survey in January. And basically the goal was to find out which of the new requirements trauma program leaders were going to, what they saw as the biggest compliance challenges, the biggest obstacle perhaps for the, for the program. And um, so overall um, I would say a lot of the feedback from trauma program leaders is that, you know, where are we going to find the resources to comply with all these new requirements? Um, You know, the budget, the hours, all the new different medical specialists that need to be, engaged in some way. There are some also requirements around new facility resources. And mainly a lot of it, a lot of it is just simply the nursing staff, because it's kind of, it's going to take a lot of boots on the ground to make a lot of these things happen. And um, I, the, the survey actually included um, a space for people to give kind of some written comments and feedback. And I, I looked through it and um, pulled out a couple quotes. And one um, that stuck out for me was a person wrote, we barely have enough staff to fill the day-to-day needs. And so to add more to their plate is not feasible, which, um, you know, another big theme that came out of the survey is, hey, we're, we're still kind of emerging from the pandemic, still kind of in the pandemic in terms of staffing crunches and so forth. So um, just, you know, concerns about who's going to do it all. So I would say, you know, the challenging news is that if you already have a sense that there are not enough resources, not enough hours in the day, then these new trauma center standards are really not going to improve that (laughs) in any way. Um, You know, having said that, I think that 
those standards, at least from my perspective, create some cool opportunities for nurses. So I've kind of zeroed in on a couple, maybe three, three things that I think might be interesting to the audience. So um, one of the new standards establishes an FTE requirement for PI coordinators based on, on patient volumes. So obviously the devil is in the details, but I think the effect for many centers will be the need to hire more PI coordinator staff. So, um, you know, taking a step back, thinking about it, I feel that, you know, for emergency and trauma nurses, if you're interested in quality improvement, if you're interested in issues like systems improvement, maybe you're interested in moving out of a direct patient care role and more into a, more into a leadership role, then I think this requirement will create more opportunities for that. Um, you know, that's how I see it, but I wanted to just, again, turn it back to you guys and do you, you know, do you see a possible appetite? Do you see, you know, staff nurses who, who want to uh, take on that challenge of PI or what, what, what's the appetite for that? Would you say? I think it's a great question. I think going back to some of those free text comments that you mentioned earlier, though, there's a lot of validity to that in the current um, healthcare market, as it were, that there's uh, already a, a massive shortage around the nation for bedside nurses, which is the core and the heart of nursing. And um, to pull further away from that to fill these other roles is, is really difficult for patient care right now. But to answer your question directly, I do think that of those opportunities for advancement within an organization to lead a team from a PI perspective or to move into those roles, I think certified nurses by far uh, would lead the way in um, moving into those fields because of not only their their clinical knowledge and expertise, the ability to care for patients directly, but you know they've already proven through professional development and certification that they're um, dedicated to advancing their own profession and hopefully advancing um, healthcare in general, and, and that's through performance improvement. So I definitely think that it meets those those expectations of some nurses to move into those roles. I think any. Uh, Oh, go ahead, Janie. Oh, I was just going to say, Bob, I agree with everything that Michael said. And I think sometimes nurses are, are um, ready to move into those roles uh, for various reasons. And I think, I think nurses are natural born leaders and can make, they, they obviously make huge impacts at the bedside. And I think they can also make very big differences in these kind of roles as well. Another opportunity is that, so the standards are going to require all trauma center EDs to evaluate their pediatric readiness and create a gap plan. And so the idea here is, okay, you're an adult trauma center. You're not a pediatric center. Nonetheless, injured kids do show up at your door. So you need to be ready to take care of them. So um, again, kind of the same line of thinking, you know, um, if you're interested in this population, if maybe you as a nurse have experienced frustration or a sense of not being prepared when an injured child shows up, I think this requirement is going to sort of drive more opportunities around that. Um, and there's a couple different possibilities, but again, just, um, you know, this might be more um, in line with what's possible in terms of staffing crunches, but just, you know, um, getting involved in and perhaps even taking the lead on efforts to, you know, develop the processes and the knowledge base at your adult trauma center for giving um, injured children 
the best care possible. Bob, I just make a quick comment. I started my first trauma center that I worked in was an adult only trauma center. And those pediatric patients absolutely will show up at your door and they have to be stabilized and evaluated. And there's not, you can't just say, Oh, sorry, we don't see kids here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we all had to, we all had requirements every year that we did to keep um, our skill set around pediatric patients because we absolutely did see them. And um, I know that's going to be a challenge, um, especially right now, but um, I understand the rationale behind that standard because, you know, if that's your child and you, that's, that's the only place you can see to go with your child, Mm -hmm. certainly want the best care you can receive. Right. Right. Definitely. And then just as my third thing that I sort of zeroed in on. So, um, you know, I would say across the board, the new standards are really going to require centers to just develop a whole new menu of processes and protocols in lots of different areas. So they cover everything from treating geriatric patients to providing mental health screenings to planning rehabilitation needs. And um, one, I again, I pulled out a quote that just seemed to really be uh, kind of getting to the heart of the matter. So a person was writing about a requirement to track response times for, I think, for interventional radiology. And the person wrote, there's a challenge in coming up with a system where paged, responded, and at bedside time is documented without being cumbersome to providers and nursing staff. We have the providers, just not the mechanisms for documentation. Um, And then uh, one more quote, one person wrote, writing new standards and protocols is not really an issue. The difficult part is getting the correct team members together for collaboration and buy-in and then providing the education and implementation to follow up on the changes. So, um, you know, I look at this and again, it's kind of like a, is the glass half empty or half full? Um, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of work, a lot more work, but f- um, from another point of view, it's just, a, um, it's an opportunity for maybe, you know, nurses who have some bandwidth to not just, not just work the job, but actually create the processes that define the work environment. So, um, you know, again, it gets back to do because of because of everything that's going on, will nurses have the ability to really take part in this? But um, I think from the previous quote about, you know, working out a a, finding a workable system for documenting response times, I think it it really is just uh, the whole everything about the standards is calling on nurses to really take part and uh, find those those ground level nuts and bolts solutions to 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 making this implementation possible. I think that's one of the good things about trauma system news and even having this conversation is getting that word out as early as possible. So even if a healthcare organization isn't readily able to make some of these transitions as soon as the standards come out, knowing that they are out anticipating the changes in the future that that hospitals need to make. Um, it just better prepares the nurses to be ready to, um, you know, look into those applications within their facility. And there's a lot of complexity to it. You mentioned that, um, you know, there's ACS standards, but then there's other hospitals that follow statewide standards more sure. than ACS. And there's there's different components. And and whether you're a level three trauma center in Tennessee or a level one trauma center in, in California somewhere, there's still at the core of it has to be that communication and collaboration and the ability to work well within the entire system and surrounding community to care for the patients. And so I think with that in mind, nurses really are 
strategically placed to make a lot of those critical decisions that clinically impact patients. And again, being able to look at these standards now and, 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 and plan for the future, no matter what your hospital is, or even if it doesn't follow ACS standards, to understand that these are some standards that that are recommended. And even if my hospital doesn't follow them, it's they, they still have good practice methods behind them. Um, sure, definitely. And they can make an impact anywhere. Hopefully, yes, yes. And so looking at hospitals, uh, you know, Janie had mentioned uh, taking a pediatric patient to a hospital and, and you know, a, a lot of just the community itself doesn't understand when, when you see emergency, you just think emergency. You don't know mm-hmm. if it's a level one, level two, a, non, um, a non-trauma center. Yes. Uh, you, know, you don't really know what's out there. Uh, you just see emergency and you have an emergency, so you, so you go. So, Bob, looking back at some of these standards that you mentioned and um, some of the changes, and of course, you know, again, we respect the fact that nurses um, are definitely overworked in some areas right now. So that's, that is um, certainly understood. But from your perspective, not being a nurse, but, but understanding healthcare systems, what words of wisdom would you have for the nursing profession right now? You know, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, I, I wish I had some, uh, some practical advice on how to like, you know, stay steady. I know that a lot of people are burned out and, um, um, you know, I just want to say that, you know, I think emergency nurses, trauma nurses, flight, everyone, you do amazing work. That's very important. And actually I pray for everyone who, who cares for the injured every day. So, you know, you're in, for what it's worth, you're in my heart. I think you're in the hearts of lots and lots of people. And, you know, we really couldn't do it without you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I know that's very appreciated. Is, is there, you mentioned um, previously that you had been injured, but whether it's healthcare or not, was there any particular person or moment in your career that impacted you, whether it was a physical injury or maybe a mentorship or anything that had impacted you personally? Oh, you know, I've had, um, so many people have uh, contributed to, um, you know, what I've learned and just, I mentioned patients before people, you know, people thankfully have patients with the young and they, uh, they teach them, you know, what to do. And um, I, I think though, overall, you know, I just, I think of my dad as someone who, uh, who just really set the tone for me. He was, um, he was a, he was an artist and also an entrepreneur. Um, you know, he, uh, he, he stuck his neck out a lot and, uh, you know, he's, he had his bumps and bruises. Um, but, uh, I would, you know, one thing that I just always remember is that he, he was home, uh, for dinner every night at five 30, you know, um, it's in a way sort of not much to say, except it really just kind of summed up, you know, um, what he was for me. And just, uh, you know, in terms of he, he balanced, uh, you know, what he wanted to do as a businessman with his personal interests as an artist. And, uh, and above all that, just, he was, he was our dad and our family. So, um, you know, it's, 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 as I, as I, you know, move my publishing business forward, it's, uh, you know, it's just my, my father is there, uh, uh, you know, as, as an inspiration. Yeah, that's excellent. 
Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for he, sharing that. Yeah, sure. He, yeah, he actually he died about a year and a quarter ago. So, um, you know, I still think about him most days, most every day. Yeah, definitely. Right, I hear that, Bob. Well, Bob, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit and ask you what we call rapid fire questions. Um, so here we go. If you were not in your current role, what would you be doing? You know, whenever I see somebody doing something kind of interesting and useful, I think, oh man, did I miss my calling? <laughs> um, we were, um, at home here, we were watching all creatures, great and small, you know, it's kind of a reboot of the, of the classic, uh, story of the veterinarians and Northern England in the thirties. And, you know, watching a couple episodes, I just think, man, why, oh, why didn't I become a veterinarian? But and it's funny because I actually don't even like animals that much. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you see people kind of going about doing something well. It's, a, it, it's, it's, it's attractive, you know. But, um, you know, I, I like my job, so I'm happy with it. All right. Well, great. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to ask you about some of your favorites. And I've got, oh, I've got like four things. So if you don't okay. have a favorite in one of these, you can say, oh, we're going to skip that. But sure, the sure. first favorite we want to know about, and I know a lot of us write this down and oftentimes we'll go get the book. What is your favorite book or what current book are you interested in that you would share with others? That's really yeah, good. Yeah. You know, I, um, my, uh, my reading time comes and goes, I, you know, my favorite books are, um, it's the Icelandic sagas. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but it's the it's the body of literature. It's it's the literature of medieval Iceland. Oh wow! Um, there, it sounds a little bit stuffy, but it's actually um, incredibly modern sounding um, stories of uh, you know just uh, you know farmers brawling with each other on a on a tiny uh, tiny uh, tiny island. Um, you know, one thing I like about it is it's 100% plot. No, no descriptions of landscapes, no, you know, no feelings, just tell me what happened. So I, that's. Wow. That sounds that. really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, next we'd like to know what your favorite movie is. I actually have three favorite movies. So okay. they are, um, it's Goodfellas okay. and uh, Master and Commander. And number three is Ratatouille. That's awesome. Which is, yeah, which is the cartoon with. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. I'm very familiar the with it. Yes. Cooks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great movie. Um, all right. And then next would be your favorite current song or your favorite song. You know, um, I, I would, again, listening to music, uh, the time comes and goes. I would, I think my favorite songs are probably some hits of the 80s that are too embarrassing to mention. Oh, I'm um, from the 80s. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, um, let me just say, so what I, you know, what I really like is um, our daughters um, are just basically singing a lot around the house in effect. So as a result, I'm kind of a vicarious Taylor Swift fan. Like I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but I like to hear my daughters singing okay. uh, Taylor Swift. So yeah. anyways, yeah, it's, I'm not exactly the target market for Taylor, but, uh, but by way of uh, some twists and turns, I, I, I'm, I'm a listener. Oh, that's awesome. All right. And your favorite comfort food? That would be cheeseburgers. Oh, well. Yes. Yes. Ah, There's a, um, a good one. 
there's a there's a kind of a small chain here in uh, southeastern Wisconsin called Cops Frozen Custard. I don't oh, know if yeah. you've experienced it. The, the custard is excellent, but the cheeseburgers, you would like sell your possessions and devote oh. your life to these cheeseburgers. So, well, I haven't had that, but I... I will have to write that down. And if we ever um, run into it, yeah, we're all stopping if we ever yes, get there. Exactly. Good. Okay. Michael, back to you. Well, now all I can think about is cheeseburgers and custard, but um, any other hobbies or interests that you have, Bob? You know, I go from thing to thing. I don't really have a long-term hobby. I had a hobby many years ago. So this might sound kind of odd, building paper buildings. I don't know if you've ever seen models of paper buildings in the paper building community. You can, you find uh, designs online and then you can print them out on decent paper and then build them. And it's, uh, you know, it keeps you out of the bars and uh, it's, you know, rather it's an inexpensive hobby. So, so it works for me. That's neat. Well, thank you for sharing that. So if, if our audience wanted to follow either you or trauma system news on social platforms, are there any social media platforms they could find that? Sure. So um, aside from the website, which is trauma-news.com, there's, uh, it has, we have social media pages on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, I think, I don't know if you might put the, the, the URLs and the show notes, um, but uh, they're easy to find. And then I just wanted to also say that uh, Trauma System News does welcome contributions from uh, trauma nurses, anyone, trauma physicians, anyone in the uh, provider community who, um, you know, would like to write about whether it's uh, some practical solution that they've they've developed or some, you know, anything around PI, teamwork, financial stuff, compliance, anything that really really talks about how to how to lead that program. If you have an idea, please, uh, I would well, I'd love to hear about it. And you can email me, and it's simply editor at trauma-news.com. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, Bob. I'm going to turn it back over to Mark. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everybody. And for our audience, uh, those social media pages, the URL for Trauma News, that will all be out on the description. So you'll be able to get that out there and be able to click on them and go right to those locations. Uh, Bob, I want to take this time to thank you for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends and for sharing your time and stories with us. You're welcome. And to all of our listeners, we hope you will stay tuned as we continue on with BCN and Friends and bring in new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I am Mark Eggers along with Janie Shoemaker and Michael Dexter. And on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you are doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, 